So we're in the book of Ruth tonight. We're going to make our way through the book of Ruth, and there's a lot less of it <laughs> than the other books we've looked at. Shortest book so far. Uh, not the shortest in the Bible, but the shortest we've seen so far. Um, and some of these, uh, when we hit highlights, it just really, uh, there's a lot that's left open. And I hope that what one of the things that this study's doing is giving you more of a hunger for God's Word to be able to go back and, and maybe some of the highlights we hit that maybe struck your interest and in think topics or people um, to go back and maybe read those places and study them. Um, so I hope the outlines and the, the notes that we have on our, on our, um, on our PowerPoint, you know, helps give you some ideas and some things that, that help you to, to grow in knowledge. I, um, as I study this each week, I learned so much just studying things that I either had never seen or and some things I'd forgotten, but some things I'd never put together in some ways. And it's really, really, uh, amazing to study each of these books, um, of the Bible and see how, um, how it's all put together. So tonight as we get to Ruth, there are only four chapters in the book of Ruth. Um, and the theme of, of the book of Ruth is the word redemption. And it's found, uh, kinsman redeemer is seen in here. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But the key to, or the, the main theme of the book of um, Ruth that we'll look at is, is redemption. Of course, there's redemption we see in Jesus Christ, and we know through Him, through, his, through salvation. But there's a beautiful picture or, or type or foreshadow of that through the redemption of, um, of Ruth uh, from a man named, uh, through a man named Boaz. So that's what we'll get at tonight. This is probably a favorite book of a, of a lot of people. Women tend to really like this book because it's such a sweet story, and it is a love story. But interestingly enough, uh, the word love is never even found in the book of Ruth. That's very interesting, even though there's a beautiful love story in it. So looking real quick, what I thought we'd do this time is uh, rather than jump right into the GPS of each chapter, I thought we'd go ahead and look at the timeline just to remind you. So um, creation right at almost 4000 B.C., uh, the book of Joshua, which was a previous time period, was uh, roughly about 1422 to 1372 B.C. And then the book of Judges, which Ruth is part of that, um, about 1372 to 922 B.C. And we talked about that date last week when we looked at Judges. So we looked at, and this is just kind of review, Judges includes the book of Ruth. If you'll look with me, if you, if you have your Bible open to Ruth, or if you have it on your phone, on an on a app or whatever, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. If your Bible is open to the left, maybe, or maybe it's just a page to your left, the very last verse in the book of Judges, we, we looked at this last week in our study of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so uh, when it says in verse 1 that it's the time that the judges ruled, it's during that time period of the judges from last week. Now, uh, we don't know exactly where Ruth is placed during that time uh, from Judges 1 to Judges 21, but I think we, there's maybe a hint tonight um, that we can look at that may, may uh, show us a little bit of an indicator. And then next week, Lord willing, uh, when, whenever we're in 1 Samuel in our study, we'll see in chapters 1 through 8 that that also takes place at the time of the judges. So... Samuel and Ruth and all those, Boaz and all those that we'll see tonight, they probably were living maybe at the same time, or Samuel might have been born just not long after that. So anyway, um, there are a couple of references there 
in 1 Samuel 4 verse 18 and 1 Samuel 7 verse 6 that indicate that it was the same time period, the time of the judges. So we'll see that next week, Lord willing. So when you get to uh, chapter 1, verse 1, like we talked about and we saw last week, if you were with us or if you heard in the study, if you listened to the podcast, the book of Judges is certainly the strangest book in the Bible. And Ruth takes place during that time. And so uh, we looked at last week, the, the key verses, we talked about that last week, so we won't go back to those. Those are the key verses of the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6, and 21, verse 25. So now let's, let's get our GPS and look at the chapters, and we'll break these down into to sections. But first we're going to look at um, just a very simple uh, outline of, of a th- just summing up every chapter, the first, all four chapters. First chapter, we see uh, some strangers in a strange land, whereas we'll see in just a moment that a man named Elimelech takes his wife and sons, and they go to Moab. Moab was a, a nation or, or, or a place right there in the, south, the southern part there, close to uh, right there in Israel. And um, they were actually an enemy, um, uh, an enemy uh, country um, because there was uh, idolatry in Moab and so forth. And we'll get to that when we talk about Ruth in just a moment. But uh, during a time of famine, they go there in, um, in, uh, to, to find food. We'll pick that up in just a moment. But uh, there's, so there's strangers in a strange land there. And as far as Ruth is concerned, we'll find where she renounces her uh, idolatry that she grew up with and actually becomes what we'd call in the New Testament term a Christian, a believer. Chapter 2, we see Ruth as she'll be gleaning in the field and as she requests uh, to, be able to, um, to be able to glean the field of a man that she didn't know at the time, then she met him. His name was Boaz, and we'll see that. Uh, when we get to two. And then chapter three, uh, we'll see the threshing floor where wheat is, is threshed out, and we'll talk about that there. And then we see Ruth reaping, but she's reaping more than just the uh, wheat that she gathered. She's about to reap a harvest of a man that's going to be in love with her and, uh, and marry her. Then chapter four, we see a brand new life and a new home, and Ruth is reaping the benefits of that. I put that twice, and I can't believe I did that. That's supposed to be something else. Anyway, I had to mess up something. Maybe that's the only thing I messed up. So let's go to chapter 1. We won't read all the verses. There will be places where I'll stop and read here and there to see some key verses. But we saw just a moment ago when I read in verse 1 that there was a time of famine in the land. And so it mentions a man named Elimelech. From a place called Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem is way down the southern part of Israel, and um, this is remember before the king. So it's it's all the kingdoms all one. Uh, it's not divided Israel and, and Judah like it is uh, in the times of the divided kingdom. It's all one kingdom, and Judah is the lower part. And you see the word Bethlehem there, and there are two Bethlehems in in the land, um, but this Bethlehem is a Bethlehem that's in Judah also called Bethlehem of Ephrata. And so that's very important. We'll see that by the end of, the, um, end of, by the end of chapter 4. We'll see that again. So he dwells, he lives there. He's from Bethlehem, Judah. Then a famine uh, hits the land. And so Elimelech and his wife Naomi uh, and their two sons, Malon, some pronounce it Malon. It depends on how you want to make a longer, short A there. And uh, the the CH there is almost like a K. It's almost Kilion, but but it's, uh, I really just say Chilion. So, but anyway, uh, those are his two sons, or their two sons, and they go into the land. Well, as they go into the land, 
turns out that the sons meet two Moabite women, and we don't, it just mentions that they marry them. And so we don't know which one is married to who for sure until we get to the end of uh, the book, chapter 4, verse 10, we see that Ruth was the one married to Malon. Uh, and so, um, anyway, it just mentions that they marry these two, and it gives the wives' names, but it doesn't put the two together until we get to chapter 4, verse 10. So they go into a place of, um, uh, to find bread. There's no food. It's during a time of famine. Hold your place. I didn't put the reference here, but go back with me to Judges and look at chapter 6, if you will. Now, some things in the Bible we know for sure, but some things we just can take some of the evidence we have here there and try to piece together. So the Bible doesn't say at what period judges of judges that Ruth, uh, that those, that their lives occur and the events occur. But look at chapter six of Judges verse one. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Well, what happened as we saw last week when we talked about Gideon is the Midianites, they would come in and they would take every, they would take all the food. They would take the livestock. They would take the food off of the, off of the, you know, the food off of the vine. They'd take their wheat. They'd take everything. And so what little they could, could scrounge together, they would keep, you know, for their food, but they would come in and take everything. So, um, one writer, and again, sometimes on these things, one guess is good or another. But one writer that I read uh, said that he believed that this occurs about the time of Gideon, where there, there's a famine because the enemy comes in and takes their food. So if that's the case, then maybe that's the time frame. But we just know that it is in Judges, the time of Judges. And so in um, chapter uh, 1, verse 1 to 5, it talks about they went into the land to find because they heard there had been, uh, you know, they, they went there for food because it was going, you know, they were all hungry. There was a famine. And while they were there, the two sons married. Look at verse um, uh, 4. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And then the, the sons, verse 5, die. And then verse 6 through verse 15, it talks about what happened. So, uh, after that, Elimelech, the dad, and the two sons, all three of them die. And so the mother is left, um, and the two daughters-in-law are left. And so when you read chapter uh, 1, verse 6 to 15, you'll see where um, the, uh, Naomi, their mother-in-law, uh, hears that there is food back in Israel, back in, in Bethlehem. She wants to go back because she's heard there's food, there's bread there. And so after that 10 years, she goes, she wants to go back. And when she does, she tells the girls about it. And long story short, um, Orpah decides to go back to her people there in Moab, back to maybe some, some um, relatives or maybe her parents. The scripture doesn't say, just says she went back. And then Ruth, the Bible says, clave to her mother and says she uh, in love because she was a uh, mother-in-law, but she was more like a mother to her, apparently. We don't know what happened to Ruth's parents. Maybe they had died. We do, the scripture doesn't say. But her mother-in-law was basically now like a mother to her. And she, she is um, almost sarcastic with the girl. She said, do you want to just hang around? And if I was to get married and have, have sons again, he said, you, that wouldn't do any good because... Um, it would take all that time for you to have sons again, and, and I mean, for me to have sons again, for you to marry again. So Orpah goes back to her people, and Ruth says, I'm going to go and be with you. I'm going to go where you go. And look at verse, um, look at verse, uh, pick a verse 
14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth claved to her. She stayed with her. She stuck by her. 15, she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back into her people, speaking of Orpah, to her gods, and return thou after thy sister-in-law. In other words, why don't you go back too? She went back. Why don't you go back? I'm going to go back to Israel. Um, Moab is, is, you know, the Moabites were actually um, um, enemies of Israel. He, she said, you know, why don't you go back to your people instead of coming back to Israel? She said, no, I'm going to go with you. I love verse 16. This is a great key verse to the whole book. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people should be my people, thy God, my God. So in a New Testament sense, she, at that point, she's a believer. She believes in the true and living God rather than the idols she grew up with. And that takes a big step to step away from that. That's all she knew before she married one of those uh, one of the sons of, of uh, Elimelech. There, she, that's all she knew. And so she believed in the true and living God. And at that point, this is what we would say is she's a we'd call her a Christian in the New Testament sense because now she's a believer. And so she goes back with her mother, and you read down through the rest of the chapter, and we see that the mother, who was uh, who believed in God, she was an, an Israelite and believed in God, she has something happen to her. So it's interesting because in verse 16 to 18, we see a new believer in Ruth. But in the rest of the chapter to the end, 19 to 22, we see a bitter believer. Her mother had become bitter uh, towards God. Uh, you read down through there. In fact, look at verse uh, 19. They come to Bethlehem. And, and uh, when, he, when they were come to Bethlehem, all the city was moved about them and said, Is this Naomi? It had been 10 years. They hadn't seen her in a long time. Some of them were probably friends, uh, people that she knew from, from Bethlehem, maybe relatives. This is, name, is this Naomi? It looks like her. It's been so long. But rather than say, yes, I'm definitely her, I'm, I'm back, I'm glad to be back, look how she answered, verse 20. Call me not Naomi, call me, you can either long or short A, some say Mara, some Mara. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. That, those those uh, four letters, Mara means bitterness, it means bitter. Um, whenever the children of Israel, we looked at a few weeks ago when Moses was with the um, children of Israel and the water was terrible, it was bitter tasting. Uh, it was called Mar. It had an H on the end of it, but it meant the same thing. It was bitter. And so she had, uh, she said, don't call me by my name, Naomi. Call me bitter. I have become bitter. And you will see here that she became bitter towards the Lord because of what happened. Uh, losing her husband, losing both of her sons, that had to be a horrible thing. So sometimes in life when people go through things, it's easy to say, you know, that's uh, that's not a very good Christian to be bitter, but you know, sometimes people go through some hard stuff. You've got to give them a little room sometimes. And now as Christians, our job is to come alongside, to encourage them, to pray with them, to pray for them, and help them through that. But, I mean, she had a lot of hard stuff happen. She lost her whole family, her husband, the son she bore. And that had to be a very hard thing for her. So she had become bitter towards God. Um, we know that, you know, bitterness is a sin like any sin as far as sin in God's eyes. But at the same time, we know that she'd been through some very, very hard times. So she goes back and she realizes, well, Ruth's with me now. So she's going to be like a daughter to me, I guess. But who knows what will happen. But she was, you know, spending most of her time just thinking about what she was going through.
So then enter, in chapter 2, verse 1, enter the hero of the story, and his name is Boaz. Verse 1, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Um, and so here we see him introduced by name, but it's not until later that Naomi realizes that he's in the picture. So when the writer of the book of Ruth, which is probably Samuel, uh, when the writer of the book of Ruth writes this down and tells us this, it's like the Holy Spirit says, okay, this is what's coming. You see sometimes in a, you read in a book, uh, a, a novel, or see something on a movie where the hero is introduced and then he kind of disappears for a while, right? Well, that's the way this happened here. His name's mentioned, but he doesn't show up until just a little bit later in this chapter. But he does show up just a few verses later. But time goes by. When verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, doesn't say exactly how much time, but time begins to click and go by a little bit. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose eyes I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now, Ruth goes, she's a new believer. But she knew enough about God that God's a gracious God. And here we see the beautiful word that we see a lot in the New Testament, but we do see it mentioned in the Old Testament too, and that's the beautiful word grace. She said, let me find grace in someone's sight. In the sight of whoever owns the field, let me find grace. Um, in the Old Testament, there, uh, under the Old Testament law, I don't think I wrote the scripture down here in a, in a slide coming up. Let me, let, me, let me read it to you if you'd like to write these down. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 9. And that way they'll have it on the podcast too. Leviticus 19 verse 9 and Leviticus 23 verse 22. Leviticus 19 9 and Leviticus 23 verse 22. And then the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament chapter 24 and verse 19. So in the law, the Lord had it set up in the Old Testament law that for those that were poor or in Ruth's case, a widow, those who did not have a field, those who did not have, and they were in need, what they would do is they would let them glean at the corners of the field. And so the one who owned that property would tell his, uh, his ranch hand, so to speak, he'd say, now certain places don't, don't get the don't don't get any of the grain or whatever they were having to be growing. Don't get any of that. Leave it for those who glean, and let them pick it. Let them get it, and that's theirs. We're, we'll we'll do that for them. So that was God had that under the law to protect and to, and to provide for those who were in need. So He worked that out for them, and um, and He knew uh, as as uh, someone comes to uh, glean that He was going to be able to do that for her. Verse three, and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hat was the light on part of the field belonging to Boaz. That word hap there is uh, we would think of as, well, it just so happened. Um, uh, the word hap also is short for happened there. Uh, so it just so happened that Ruth found the field that Boaz owned. Ruth had no idea who Boaz was. And until now, he had no idea who she was. She had no idea who he was. She was just going to a field. And so God shows his grace in a greater way than she could have even imagined. God's about to show her grace that not only is she going to get food that she and her mother-in-law need, she's about to find something even better and, and even more long, and even longer lasting. That is, God's going to provide a husband for her uh, to take care of her. So uh, God blesses his children. He takes care of his children. We belong to him. He takes care of us. 
Um, and so he will, he will provide for us. He will protect us. And that's exactly what he was going to do through Boaz for Ruth. So she gleans in the field, and it just happened to be, well, we know better than that. That is the providential hand of God. God's working, and God's, God's, God's putting this together. Verse 4, Boaz came from the field and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered him, The Lord bless thee. And then verse 5, Boaz said to his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? He probably went, Who is that? <laughs> so he was all excited about that when he saw her. Who is that? So they ask, and then she describes who it was, and the scripture doesn't say here, it doesn't say till chapter 3, but when he finds out um, that she was a daughter-in-law of Naomi, as soon as he said Naomi, he knew exactly who he was talking about. He knew that he was related through Elimelech. And so because of that, it's, it, they tell who it is, and then he, he talks about um, where she said, I pray you let me glean. You read on down through. We're, we're going to have to skip this for time. Um, and then uh, he talks to Ruth personally. He meets her. They get to finally meet. Ruaz, uh, Ruth meet Ruaz. Ruth meet Boaz. Well, where did that come from? Boaz meet Ruth. And so uh, they met there, and then he says to her, don't go into another field. I want you to stay in my field. Um, and stay fast by my mates. Stay by the other ones that are gleaning. Stay with them. Um, they might have been, um, you know, others that had, maybe they came every season. I don't know. But it's some that he knew. And he said, stay by them. Stay close. And as you read on down through here, we won't do it for time's sake, but as you read on down through here, his just, you know, ranch hands or whatever you want to call them, he said, you watch out for her. You take care of her. You make sure her needs are met. You make sure nothing bad happens to her, basically, is what he tells them. And so, um, verse, I love this in verse um, 12. He's talking to her and he says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. He'd never met her to that day, but he knew that she now believed in the true and living God. Isn't that a great thing? And of course, wings there are, are you know, it's, a, it's describing the Lord's, it, it, it's, it's a figurative way. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it mentions we're, uh, to, to be under his wings. That means his protection, where he takes care of us, he protects us. And so um, he, he knew that she was a believer. Isn't that great? Boaz knew that uh, as he met her. He already knew that about her, or he found out very soon. And then she said, let me find favor in thy sight. So you read on down through there, and he tells her that there's provision to be made for the, of the barley and of everything that she needed. And so um, verse 10 to 12, though, I just love that, the testimony of her life, how it spoke volumes about her life. All right, let's move on to uh, chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. Basically, he tells her in those verses uh, that what's, uh, what's mine is yours and whatever I have there that would come to you. And then he tells the young men, he said, um, take of, um, make sure that she gets handfuls of purpose. In other words, you get a bunch more and whatever she gets, you add to it for her. So uh, he took care of her and made sure that, that she got the food she needed because um, ultimately, he was not just taking care of her, but he was also taking care of her mother-in-law too. So she goes in verse 18, she goes back to the city after she gleaned, and her mother-in-law saw what she'd gleaned, it says in verse 18, and she asked her in verse 19, where have you been today? Where did you glean? And she mentions in verse 19, I, uh, the uh, man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Soon as she says that, verse 20, Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who hath left uh, left, uh, not left off this kindness of the living, the dead. Naomi said to her, the man 
is near of kin unto us, one of our kinsmen. So as soon as she said that name, Boaz, I don't know how many men might have had that name in, around Bethlehem, but when she heard that name, she knew which one it was, if there was more than one, and she knew exactly who he was. And she knew that uh, there's obviously a plan coming together. So she, in her mind, is probably already, like a lot of women like to do, probably already matchmaking in her mind. So the plan moves forward in chapter 3. As you read verse 1 to 5, um, she says, uh, the mother-in-law says, I, um, My daughter shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee. Um, and is now not Boaz of our kindred, whose maidens thou wast, behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. In other words, when she says rest there, she doesn't mean just lay your head down and get some sleep. She means rest in that you're about, you're, your life is about to change because she saw the plan coming together. She saw that something probably very um, wonderful and something romantic was going to be able to happen for her. And she, she told her, she said, um, um, anoint yourself, in other words, make yourself up very, very nice and, and go in and um, don't make yourself known until everybody's got through. When they get through uh, with supper or whatever, probably supper, when they get through, it says in verse 4, and I'm going to read this because this, is, this seems strange to us. Uh, but look at verse 4. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and I will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Well, this apparently was uh, a custom in their day. And as we know, there was nothing, um, there was nothing that was of any kind of impropriety. And so in verse 6 to 16, you see as she's there at his feet, he finds out, um, there's somebody at my feet. <laughs> uh, what's going on? There's somebody down here, right here at my feet. And so it says in verse 8, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. He turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? She answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And so that was a... Um, uh, there's really not anything in the Old Testament law to, to, uh, to go back on this, but from what we understand about their culture of the day, that was something apparently that was, was not unusual. And it was, there, was no, there was no impropriety or anything like that. And so when he heard her name, he knew exactly who she was. And he knew, um, he found out by finding out whose da um, daughter-in-law she was, he knew exactly um, that there was... Um, that there was a connection there because he was a kinsman to Elimelech. Look at verse um, 11. Now my daughter, fear not, for I will do thee all thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am not uh, thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. So you read through the rest of this chapter, and you see that it gets to be complicated here. Obviously, they both have some affection or, or some uh, feelings for each other and some, some attraction to each other, I believe. But he knows that there could be something in the works that could really mess things up because Boaz was a man uh, that I believe we'll see. Like I said, the word love is not even found in this, in this book, but we see that he obviously uh, was in love with her and she likely with him. But he realized, look, there is something here that can... That can um, uh, cause one way or the other that can basically we're at a fork in a road. Either something can work this way or something can work that way. And he tells her, I am a near kinsman, but there's a kinsman nearer. So whatever relation he was to Elimelech, let's say that he was a, um, a um, nephew uh, or, excuse, or maybe a cousin, then maybe, a, uh, maybe the other 
uh, one that was a near kinsman might have been a nephew or something. So at either rate, it may have been that there was a closer, something closer here as far as kin goes. And he knew that because of that, this other near kinsman would have the first um, call on whether or not he would, he would be the one to marry Ruth. So it gets a little complicated. We're going to look in, in just a moment. We'll look at some references as we get to the end of our study. So it gets a little complicated here. And then in verse 1 to 12, uh, he, goes, he goes into the city, goes into Bethlehem uh, to the gate. Now, in those days in the city, um, a lot of the uh, older men would sit around the gate. Now, remember we're in the time of judges. It's a time when there's no uh, leadership, no king or anything like that. And so uh, the men would sit around a common place in the city around the gate. And um, yeah, men like to talk and gossip too. They just do it in different ways. And so they would sit around the gate and that's what they would do and where they would be when they would talk. Uh, the elders of the city, it says there, um, were, were gathered. So as he's sitting there in verse 4, then went, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, the one that he told Ruth about, and to whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside. So he says, Come here, you, come here, such a one, <laughs> you, mister, come here. Um, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So he begins to tell him what's going on that there is some land that um, would, would go to. He would get the first um, call on it. If, if this other man wanted it, he would get the first call on it. Do you want this land? It belonged to Elimelech. Elimelech died. His widow Naomi is back here. And do you want to redeem the land? Do you want to pay the price to take the land? Uh, maybe it joined to his land. Uh, we, we really don't know, but it just, we just know that, that he was the one that was available to be able to purchase that. Then look at verse 5. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So as we'll see in a moment, we'll see some references about this. In the Old Testament law, that's, that's what they would do, is they would buy the land. And if there was a um, widow, then they, were, they would also marry that widow to be able to get that land. But... In this case, the man's all fine with it until he finds that out. Verse 6, And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, it doesn't say here that he, was, you know, that he already had a wife. Uh, we don't know whether that's the case or not, but for whatever reason, he said, I don't want to, I'm not going to redeem it because it will mess up my own inheritance. I, I don't know if that was a cop-out. I don't know if he wasn't telling the truth. But at any rate, he decided not to redeem it. Um, verse 7. Now, we'll come back to a reference about this. This sounds a little weird, too. Um, you don't hear about this, uh, about this kind of thing these days, but verse 7. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee, so he drew off his shoe. Now that sounds a little weird to us, but that would be probably in more recent days. You don't hear this much anymore, but you maybe heard the, the, the phrase breach of promise. That's probably what this was, was an outward sign of a breach of promise, that he was not going to, to enter into the, the contract to get the land, and so, um, in other words, he was backing out. So this was a, uh, something they did that was symbolic that he was not going to buy the land. And so uh, when you read on through um, 
to the to at the end there or to verse twelve, it, it talks about um, how he um, rejects that he doesn't buy it, and then um, Boaz says, "I'm going to buy this. Your witnesses this day." Verse ten, you see what's that? This man does not want the land. I'm going to get it. And in verse eleven, he talks about. Uh, the people that were in the gate, and the elders said, we are witnesses. So we have seen this, and we understand this, and uh, this took place. So, you know, to this day, whenever someone purchases something, you know, like a, if they're buying a house, something like that, there's usually a witness there, or somebody that's the witness to it. The Lord make the woman that has come into thy house like Rachel and like Leah, which did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in, in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. Rachel and Leah, of course, was... Uh, two of the mothers of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. And so she says, let this lady be as great in the eyes of our people as Rachel and Leah. And so um, they knew then that uh, she was about to become the wife of Boaz. And um, said, uh, the Lord shall give thee of this, of this woman, talking about give him a, a child as a result of it. Verse 13, so this kind of, goes on to the new section where there's going to be a brand new beginning here because of that. Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left this day without a kinsman, left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Ruth ends up being the grandmother of King David. Isn't that great and that beautiful? It doesn't end there. We'll go to it in just a moment, look at some more. But we see in the verses 17 there, I just read down to verse 22, a glorious legacy. We'll come to the references about that. So let's look at a couple things real quick. The near kinsman thing, go back with me to Leviticus, if you will. Um, Leviticus 25. This may be one of the references I gave you earlier. Leviticus 25, and look at verse 25 to 28. So this is what the law says, and so Boaz was going to make sure everything was done just right. Leviticus 25, verse 25 to verse 28. If thy brother be waxed and poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then he shall redeem that which his brother sold. And if a man have none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it and return into his possession. So that was the way they figured how much it was worth as far as money goes. It had to do with the number of years and so forth. Verse 28, And if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee he shall go out and he shall return unto his possession. So the year of Jubilee was 50 years. So if it happened to file close enough, fall close enough, then they could wait till Jubilee. But if Jubilee was way off, this, this had to definitely be done and uh, the land purchased. So that's the, uh, the near kinsman um, purchasing the land. And so the one that we saw there, Mr. Such a one, he, he, he didn't want the deal, so he backed out. Go with me to Deuteronomy 25. We're leaving Leviticus 25 and going to Deuteronomy 25, start at verse 7. Now this is what has to do with the, um, the shoe. Verse 7 to 10. 
And if a man like not to take his brother's wife, now the brother there can mean directly a brother or whoever's next of kin. And that's what this was about. There was no brother involved. Um, so it had to be whoever was the next of kin. Uh, go up to the gate and to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of uh, my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. If he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, <laughs> and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So it shall be done in the man, and I will not build up his brother's house. His name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loose. So um, that's, the, um, that's what the law had to, to say about that. Um, in this time of, uh, in, this time of um, in Israel where there was no king and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, it's so refreshing in this story to see, number one, a love story. Number two, to see a man named Boaz who, even though everything else is going wrong, everybody else is doing things you know, in their own eyes what was right, he stood for what was right. He did what was right. He was a man who stood up and, and obeyed what God said to do. So back in Ruth 14, we left off at verse, we read verse 17, I mean Ruth 4, we left off at verse 17, verse 18. These are the generations of Perez. When you read those names through there and you go to the book of Matthew chapter 1, you see those names included in the lineage of our Savior. And of course, as I said, uh, or as we read there and, and, and understood, Ruth was the grandmother of David. So um, she's, uh, she's his grandmother, and uh, that's how the book ends. Ends on a very wonderful uh, way of ending, a wonderful note, so to speak, compared to the book of Judges during the same time. So let's look at some mileage and efficiency. Just like we saw in Judges, it was written during a time of falling away, a time of when Israel was doing that which was right in their own eyes. And it's a happy story during a sad time in their history. Uh, it's good to see something, you know, the good thing, one of the good things that was going on during the time of the judges. A very happy story. Some lessons learned. So um, however you look at this, it began with a lack of faith by Elimelech. He went into um, an enemy territory to go find bread, not knowing uh, what would happen because of that. But nevertheless, he went into enemy territory and there was a lack of faith on his part to not believe God, uh, to trust him for food. And then we see also a lesson learned. There's the bitterness of Naomi. Um, I'll read these for those that listen to the podcast. and can't. But in chapter 1, verse 20 is where Naomi said to call me Mara, which means bitter. Uh, Job chapter 21, verse 25 is a verse that talks about bitterness. And then Proverbs 14, verse 10 says, the heart knows its own bitterness. And then Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, bitterness can defile many. It can spread. It's like a, uh, uh, like a root. It can spread and defile others. Um, this talks about a root of bitterness in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15. Then again, it's a love story without the word love being mentioned. It's not even mentioned in there, but we see love uh, all through it. Um, you know, love doesn't always, the word doesn't always have to be said, but whenever it's, when it's proved, when it's shown in action, uh, we see love. And that's, that's what it's, uh, that's what we see there in the story. We see the providential hand of God, how he moves in mysterious ways. There just so happened to be there in Boaz's field. Just happened for that, for that to take place. And so we see God's hand marvelously working in his providence. And then um, we see how in her life, her testimony was very precious. He said to her, he said, even this whole city knows that you're a virtuous woman. She hadn't been there long. 
In fact, she was from Moab. She was from a place of idols. But yet her testimony was that she was a virtuous woman. And then one more thing on Ruth tune-up. Bitterness can be turned to joy. Um, whenever that baby was born, you can see the change in Naomi. Uh, the scripture doesn't say that, that the bitterness was gone, but when she held that little baby, you can tell the big change she had in her life. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32 tells us to put away all bitterness. And so, um, or uh, excuse me, um, Naomi's life was changed and the Lord took care of that bitterness. We also see how the Lord writes the last chapters. The end of Judges ended very sadly, but the end of Ruth is a very happy ending because not only is it happy for Ruth and Boaz and for Naomi and the little baby, but it's happy because it ends with, look, there's hope. Because if you've, as, as Samuel wrote this later and you follow the legacy, King David is in that line. And we know that despite what David did and the mistakes he made, he was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. So uh, what a great uh, last chapter, so to speak. Jesus in, in the book of Ruth is seen as our kinsman redeemer. Uh, he's the one that was able to redeem us, the only one that could redeem us, um, and the only way to be redeemed. Uh, redeemer, redemption means to purchase, and we've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ if we belong to him, if he's our Savior. And then uh, Bethlehem was the same Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Um, and so we see here there was an important trip made um, back to Bethlehem when Ruth came back. And there was an important trip when um, also later on in the book of 1 Samuel, when um, Samuel goes to anoint David, he anoints him in Bethlehem. And then when Jesus was born, born in Bethlehem. Isn't that great how that town means so much? And they're in our Savior's lineage a uh, few verses that are home addressed that you that, that are great to think over or maybe memorize. Uh, verse 16 of chapter 1 where she says, Thy God shall be my God. That's where I believe she became what we call a believer in the New Testament sense. And then the handfuls of purpose. We didn't spend a lot of time with that, but chapter 2 verse 16 is where he told uh, his young men, make sure all that she gleans, some handfuls of purpose. In other words, give her a whole lot more than what she gleans even. And then how the Bible calls her a virtuous woman. So we'll stop there. And Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in First Samuel. We're not quite as late tonight. Any questions or any input or anything? Yes, ma'am, Barbara. Uh, I think it's a big deal that even though Elizabeth messed up, didn't trust God, and moved right. away, God didn't take care of him but right. he took care of Naomi. Right. And the fact he worked through Elimelech's disobedience. He still worked through it. God can do that, right? Exactly. He's at Romans 8, 28. Amen? And he works not through the it. the only place in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just one that stands out the most. God does not exactly. abandon us. He does exactly, he exactly. forget us. He doesn't throw us away. He's, he is faithful. He Always is faithful. faithful. Always. He does and takes care of us. Yes, he does. He's faithful. Good point. Anything else? I, I don't want to ask him. I know we're a mixed company. But did that say that Naomi, the grandmother, nursed the baby? <laughs> I don't know that that means like breastfed the baby, but yeah. kept it like a... My, my, um, I don't know. I think it just means that she... So she took care of it. The old fashioned word for nurse means they took care of it. Right. I don't I don't think that meant that. I know. I don't think it I, meant that. It looks like it. Yeah, I think it just simply means that she took care of it and she was because I mean legally she had no obligation to Ruth anymore. 
she had been her mother-in-law, but now that she had married Boaz, legally there was no obligation there. But she's still in the family because of the fact that Elimelech was her husband. And so, yeah. But yeah, nurse means she just took care of it kind of like an adopted grandmother, I guess you'd say, pretty much is what, yeah. <laughs> okay. But that's, but that's a good question. That gets that cleared up. So that's a good question. That gets it cleared up. Okay, anybody else? Emma, okay. You're my Ruth. You're middle her middle name's Ruth. So um so Lord willing, next week we'll pick up on First Samuel. I'm gonna run out of breath next week, I know, because there's a lot in First Samuel. This is where uh, Saul is the first king of Israel, and then uh, David becomes at the end well, as the book ends and goes into Second Samuel, he becomes uh, the, the next king. But anyway, uh, there's a lot in First Samuel, so look forward to that too. All right, let's stand and close in prayer. We'll dismiss on time tonight, all right? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for each one here tonight, Lord. I pray for a special blessing uh, for each one that's come out to hear your word, and we pray for those who aren't able to be here tonight and those who listen by way of uh, our, our recording. We pray that you'll help all of us as we grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior and, and as we grow in your word and studying it and uh, reading it and applying it in our life. Lord, there's so many things. Even in these four chapters, there's so much. It's, it's full of so much practical um, to apply in our lives, Lord. We thank you for uh, what we see in this book that was written during a very dark time. And Lord, we thank you for how, uh, even though there was the um, um, ungodliness that was going on in the land, and we know there were certain judges that tried and, and de to deliver their people and all that was going on there, uh, even when the times were difficult, you, you showed a, a beautiful picture and a love story. And we thank you for that and what we learned from it. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave them here tonight. That you'll keep us safe through the evening. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.